Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Thank you for supporting Mi'kmaq Matters through Patreon or email funds transfer. These are strange and difficult times. I hope you and those dear to you are well and stay well. Well, all you. Like so many of us in this time of COVID, Nanasabasit and Damastavit are stranded, in their case, in the rooms in St. John's. The sacred remains of this Beothic man and woman returned from Scotland just before the lockdown. 200 years after the graves were robbed by William Cormack. It's hard to say when Nanasabasit and Damasdewit will make it back to their territory in the central part of so-called Newfoundland. The history of the Beothic is a tragedy wrapped in a mystery. They became culturally extinct in the 1800s, mostly because of violence committed by English settlers such as John Peyton Sr. But who were the Beothic, and does their genetic lineage live on? As we heard on Mi'kmaq Matters in 2017 from Anna Duggan, the Beothic were not related to the maritime archaic, the previous inhabitants of the lands now known as Newfoundland, Labrador, and the Maritimes. Earlier this year, we heard from Stephen Carr about work he's doing with Meobagag First Nation, DNA research on whether there's genetic overlap between Mi'kmaq from that community and the Beothic. If there was, that would confirm Mi'kmaq oral history of friendly relations with the Beothic people with whom they shared the island. In the meantime, Stephen Carr has just had an article published in the scientific journal Genome. The article describes the results of a study in which he compared Beothic and maritime archaic genomes with the closest sequences of modern persons in the GemBank database. Stephen Carr is our guest this week. As we'll hear, the genetic lineage of the Beothic live on in places where we might not expect to find it. Uh, okay, Steve, so people will remember that we talked recently about your work in Meobagag, where you were exploring uh, the question of, uh, as you would say in your business, genetic continuity between uh, Mi'kmaq and uh, Beothic. And um, uh, I suppose that like so much else uh, in the world these days, uh, you're slowed down by COVID. Yes, this is, uh, it, it was a, uh, a perfect, a perfect storm, literally, and that the first time that I intended to go down and had arranged to go down the Con River, um, that was um, uh, the, the snowmageddon started that evening, and I'm glad that I uh, that I didn't proceed on the road, or else I think I would still be in Gander at this point. Mm-hmm. So our the initial collection was um, the initial visit was uh, was canceled by snowmageddon. And then again, when I was all set to go down uh, on the on the rescheduled time, we had the lockdown, and of course we saw the lockdown coming. 
Um, and so we haven't been able to do that. So things are, yes, pretty much on hold until uh, until the community is, is confident that uh, they are willing to let people from town in, um, and uh, also that the people will will be approaching the uh, the study with uh, with complete confidence that there's no danger involved. Right. And today we're going to talk about an article you've just published in the scientific journal Genome, which will be of interest to our listeners. And um, by way of background, we'll mention that uh, some time ago on Mi'kmaq Matters, we had Anna Duggan, now of McMaster University, uh, and she was speaking about the surprising discovery about the lack of genetic relationship between Beothic and Maritime Archaic. And of course, Maritime Archaic were the um, predominant indigenous uh, group in Newfoundland, Labrador, the Maritimes. Um, but despite that, the Maritime Archaic are not the ancestors of the Beothic. This was the Anna Duggan study. And yeah. today, uh, through your article in Genome, we're talking about uh, basically it's um, uh, it's a lot. We're on the trail, on the same trail as uh, as Anna Duggan. So, first of all, um, let's talk about the work that you did, uh, the research that you did for this article on genome. You compare genetic material from Beothic and Maritime Archaic with what's available in GenBank. Yes. And many of our listeners will know what GenBank is because uh, there's a lot of interest in uh, in, in genetic uh, research, etc. But for those who might not be familiar with uh, GenBank, tell us what that is. Yes. Uh, GenBank is a genetic database that was set up by the National Institutes of Health, which is uh, uh, at the moment, they're prominent because they're involved with the with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But this is a database uh, set up in the early 80s where if you wrote a scientific paper involving a DNA sequence, uh, you would submit the DNA sequence to the database. And then uh, when your paper came out and anybody wanted to look at your data, they could simply uh, go to their computer uh, put in an access number, an accession number, uh, and obtain that uh, DNA sequence uh, on their own computer. Um, and that database has, uh, has risen from a few uh, hundred thousand bases to, I, I, I forget what the number is now, but it's something absolutely uh, astronomical, uh, well over two billion uh, separate entries uh, some of those entries will be complete genomes of 3 billion uh, base pairs, 3 billion ACs, Gs, and Ts, um, and many of them will be of complete mitochondrial genomes, which is what we are studying here, and those in humans are about 17,000 base pairs. So the advantage of that is that anybody, the advantage of that for our study is that anybody who has done any kind of a study involving examination of human mitochondrial genomes, uh, those sequences will be available in this common database. And the database also provides the tools to uh, search that database um, in, in any of a variety of ways. 
Um, and one of them uh, is, is the very simple one that if, uh, if I have, uh, when I obtained my own DNA sequence, um, I could drop that into the database, um, and in about five seconds, uh, I would get the list of all the people currently in the database who are closely related to me or, uh, or, or closely similar to me, and some of those people would be only uh, one or two uh, base substitutions, we call them, some people would call them mutations, I prefer to call them SNPs. Uh, so you can do that with, uh, with any sequences that you're interested in knowing. Are there, are there persons that are similar to this sequence? Uh, and so what we did was the, uh, as soon as Anna's paper came out, and Anna's a, a former honor student of mine here at Memorial, um, as soon as that paper came out, the first thing that occurred to me is, well, we do have one complete Mi'kmaq sequence. Um, is our Mi'kmaq sequence like any of the Beothic or Maritime Archaic sequences? Uh, so first thing I did was drop our sequence into this database, push a button, the wheels go around, two seconds later it pops out. Uh, no, it's not very similar. To any of the uh, any of the sequences in uh, Anna's paper, but that doesn't mean anything because this is only one of many many Mi'kmaq, and we don't uh, necessarily expect um, that there that there's complete sharing between the the maritime archaic and or the Beothic. Uh, but that was the starting point. Now, what what you're doing in this paper is that you're comparing. Beothic and maritime archaic genetic material with sequences in this GenBank database. Yes. When you put that in, what did you find? What we found, um, and again, the, the, the way that that study was done was by the, the, the reverse method of what I've just described, um, where we had one Mi'kmaq sequence, and we could drop it into the database and see, well, what's the closest relative of this one? Uh, here we do the opposite thing, where we had uh, a number of different, and I think it's uh, five different, there are five different uh, distinct biotic sequences. Uh, we could drop each of those sequences separately into the database uh, and find the individual, the modern individual, who is most closely related each of those biotic individuals uh, from ancient DNA on those individuals. And we could do the same thing with the, uh, the 12 distinct maritime archaic sequences. Um, and when we did that, um, cutting to the chase, uh, we got the very interesting result that one of our uh, biotic sequences is identical uh, to a modern person. Um, and uh, one of our maritime archaic sequences is also identical to a modern person, and that uh, other biotic sequences in particular, uh, since this is, I think, what, where the greatest interest lies, but other sequences from biotic persons are very, very similar uh, to those of modern persons. So the implication is that... Uh, there is genetic continuity between the Beothic and modern uh, native, native uh, indigenous persons, and there is also continuity between the maritime archaic 
and modern persons, and that latter is uh, was was very unexpected for me uh, because, as you said, uh, Anna had said that there was no continuity between the, the maritime archaic and the Beothic. Uh, there's about a 1,400-year gap between uh, the end of the maritime archaic culture on, in Newfoundland and the beginnings of the Beothic um, culture, but it would appear that uh, the maritime archaic lineage persisted down one family lineage into modern persons, and the Beothic uh, lineages uh, pursued down or went down other lineages into modern persons. I see. So we have out there in Jim Bank uh, tells us that there are modern persons uh, related genetically in some way to Beothic and maritime archaic. And we're talking about yeah. different persons now, different, the people related to Beothic are different from the people related to maritime or, or archaic. Yes, the, it, it, it is still the case that there, there is, uh, the, I, and you'll excuse me for using, for using the fancy way that we talk about it, there is no, um, there is no Beothic who is more closely related to a maritime archaic than he or she is to another Beothic. And, and another way of saying that is that there are there are five Beothic families which are self-contained, and there are twelve maritime archaic families which are self-contained, and there are complex relationships between those families, uh, but but no no maritime archaic is like a, a Beothic person, so they're they're not more closely related. So we have we have a series of distinct families, and the the. Information about modern persons uh, who are related to Beothic. What what can you tell us about those? Uh, it, it, it's very it's very interesting, and all of this is um, you know, and, and what I keep saying um, every time I talk about this is when, when I say modern persons, and I have to say modern persons that we know about, and when I talk about Beothic, I have to say the Beothic that we know about because we only have about uh, a dozen Beothic here. Um, the next Beothic that we looked at, if we do find another one, might tell us something entirely different. But um, one of the most interesting factoids is that Nona Sabaset, who is uh, one of the last surviving uh, Beothic and who has been uh, repatriated, back to the island along with his wife, Damasdui. Uh, Nona Sabaset has a mitochondrial DNA sequence which is identical, and I don't mean similar, I mean identical uh, to the DNA sequence of a uh, modern person. And the interesting thing about that modern person is that that modern person uh, clearly has a, an indigenous DNA type um, but I have spoken to that person, and that person ha is very interested in genealogy, very much appreciates what we're doing, and that person does not identify as indigenous. And five generations back, uh, on, the, on the mother's side, that person is not, um, is not a Native American. Um, but there has to be a Native American in uh, in that person's ancestry because that's the only way that he could have that, that DNA sequence. So that, uh, and so the, the, the nature of the relationship between that person and Nona Sabaset 
is that they are cousins. Okay, and so if you think about this, um, if you think about this the way we think about family relationships, there's two reasons, there's two ways that somebody could be, that, that a modern person could be genetically identical uh, to somebody who is ancient. Uh, the one way would be that uh, that is a person's great, 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 and stick in however many you like. Um, it's that their great grandchild uh, through an unbroken line of uh, mother, grandmother, great grandmother, great great grandmother, all the way back to one of the Beothic. And so that you would actually be a descendant of, uh, of a Beothic in the literal sense. The other way that you could be identical is if you and Nonasabaset, if this person and Nonasabaset had a common ancestor, uh, and more specifically a common grandmother of some degree, and that is why they are identical, is that that uh, genome has been passed down the lineage to Nonasabaset and has also been passed down to through the lineage to this uh, modern person. And so, the, and that is, uh, that's the more likely explanation. We know that Nanasabaset, uh, and Mazdui had only one child who was murdered in that contact. Uh, so they're very likely cousins. And the fact that, uh, if you are similar to somebody else, you're much more likely to be a cousin, uh, than you are to be a direct descendant of any particular person from, from several hundred years ago. So what do we take from all this? Because it sounds in some ways to be, um, you know, perhaps uh, at odds with what Anna Duggan found and also at odds with her thinking about, you know, the Beothic being uh, uh, extinct. And of course, culturally, uh, you know, we can, we understand what that is, but the genetic, um, the genetic history continues in some way. So uh, how do we wrap our minds around the, the meaning? Well, I, I, I don't think that there's any conflict at all uh, between uh, Anna's, Anna's interpretation of her data and our interpretation of our data. And this just goes to the question of when you do these kinds of studies, all that you can talk about is the individuals that you know about. Uh, and so what, what Anna's what Anna's data showed was that for the individuals that she looked at, um, no maritime archaic was more closely related to a Beothic than he or she was to another maritime archaic and vice versa. So you would say that, yes, there's no continuity between the two groups. Um, the, so that would tend to rule out the direct descent, and you see how this ties into what we just talked about, it rules out the direct descent of the Beothic from the Maritime Archaic. Uh, but a lot of people would have said that, well, of course, we don't, we don't think they are related. We, we think that uh, the Beothic, that the Maritime Archaic left, uh, the Beothic came in, um, and they're not necessarily closely related at all. And what we have established with these additional data is that, yes, in fact, the maritime archaic and the Beothic are cousins in a, in a, in a very broad sense. Uh, but those cousins are intermixed with a lot of other living cousins. 
some of whom are more closely related to the maritime archaic. Some of them are more closely related to the Beothic. Yes, there are, there are, there are modern persons who are closely related to maritime archaic. There are modern persons who are closely related to Beothic. Uh, the degree of the relationship suggests that they are, um, they are cousin descendants. They want, and again, not direct descendants, but that they are cousins of the maritime archaic and of the Beothic. Uh, and so the, these, these ancient lineages, that everybody describes as being extinct. Uh, in fact, that they're 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 not extinct. They may be culturally extinct, but in fact, that there there are descendants uh, amongst amongst modern persons, and that's really uh, very interesting. It's consistent with what uh, various peoples, with with what the Mi'kmaq have said about their relationship with it, what the Mapuche First Nation has said about their relationship with the Beothic. Which is that there were friendly relationships between the two groups um, uh, up, up to a certain point, um, and that this is why we need to look at the Yalpakuk um, the First Nation because we want to see well is there evidence uh, of, of a direct connection between the Biotic or the Maritime Archaic and uh, the current members of the Miyapakak First Nation. It's kind of like a uh, a, a mystery that uh, we we try to solve, and uh, each step, I guess, brings us closer to an answer. And as you say, once you get the your the results of your research in Miyapakak, it might uh, take us a little farther down the road of knowing um, what actually is the situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a process. It's a process of accumulating knowledge, and and I, I get I get downright tiresome when I'm talking to people that I always say that this is this is what we know now, and the very next person that we examine might um, change the story substantially. That it would have been it would have been very nice. Um, Oh, this is not. I'm a scientist, so I'm not supposed to speculate about these things. It would have been very nice if this person that I called up stateside had said, "Why, yes, we, we, I, I can trace my sixth degree grandmother to uh, Newfoundland," um, and, and then I would have said, "Golly," um, and and then I could tell a great story. Uh, but that's not a story that I can tell. Um, uh, but when we start doing when we start doing the research with the Mi'kmaq, that may they, that may very well be a story that we can tell. Stephen Carr, professor of biology at Memorial University. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Miobigag, First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.